that's the first step of getting like a product or a couple products in place that you just sell that are the same every time and take very little customization. And once you do that, then all the operations can follow. But if you're selling custom every time, your operations is going to struggle to follow behind that. Instead of buying into all the hype about building a one-to-many service delivery model, what if we just doubled down on process? Having a solid, repeatable process can rapidly allow even small one-person businesses to become more profitable and efficient, allowing them to scale. By productizing your service delivery, you can create efficiency that allows you to deliver high-touch services in a standardized way. So every single client gets the same high-quality experience and your business becomes more profitable and scalable at the same time. I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we talk unconventional strategies to increase your operational capacity. In our last episode, we talked to Lacey Stites about how she was building her agency using a revenue share model. My guest today, Jake Jorgovan, takes a bit of a different approach and focuses on productizing his service delivery so he can operate efficiently at scale. But both Lacey and Jake are building profitable, scalable service businesses while still opting out of that one-to-many business model. Jake Jorgovan is the founder of both Lead Cookie, which is a LinkedIn lead generation agency, and Content Allies, which is a service where they turn consultants into thought leaders through content marketing. Both of these are really high-touch services that don't easily lend themselves to being automated or to scaling. They both have very manual processes behind the scenes, but Jake seriously considered how to scale and deliver such a manual service at a high volume when he was building them. He created solid processes, procedures, and systems behind the scenes to deliver his services really efficiently. And that's become a core tenant of both of his businesses. So we'll talk about how he built those businesses and what you should be thinking about if you want to build productized delivery into your own services. Let's dive in. My guest today on the podcast is Jake Jorgovan of Lead Cookie and Content Allies. And we are going to be talking about productizing delivery. So hi, Jake. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me on here, Susan. All right. So let's just kind of jump right in. You have launched two productized service businesses now. Um, but back when you were starting, kind of what was the motivation or driving force behind deciding to uh, move out of really a client services focus into starting something like Lead Cookie? Yeah, basically I came out of consulting and I had one guy that worked for me full time when I was consulting. And um, But basically, you know, everything was pretty, pretty custom, pretty delivered for each customer. And at some point, I just kind of uh, was sitting there and I was doing pretty well in consulting. And I looked at my wife and I said, hey, I think I'm ready to build a real business again. I had built an agency previous to my consulting and grew a team and it wasn't very scalable and there's a lot of problems with it, but did pretty pretty well with it as an agency. And then I went off the consulting pass when I eventually split with my partner. And at some point I was like, I want to build an actual company, build a team again. Like I, I know that I have the capabilities to do this, so... I want to dive in and actually build something bigger. And I literally sat down and started brainstorming. And the first one of the, well, not one of the first, but one of the ideas that I came up with was LinkedIn marketing agency that I wrote down originally. And uh, that has basically evolved into what lead cookie is today. Awesome. So from an operational perspective, what were kind of your biggest hurdles starting out, tran- making that transition from a very you know client focused business into something that you want to scale? What were the biggest challenges you ran into? 
Yeah, I think the one of the biggest things I think for anyone who's doing services to actually scaling is not realizing how much inherent value you are bringing to the process. Um, and so when you start to try to hand it to other people, you're like, why the heck aren't they doing as good? Like, well, what's up? And uh, and really, that's because like you don't like um, one of my advisors, um, he like uh, Alex McClaverty would call it like uh, um, he would call it like master splinter syndrome. Uh, where you're like Master Splinter, where he's always like hitting his head with like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because he's like, ah, oh, such idiots and stuff. But like they just don't know what they don't know. And uh, and it's this thing where like you, when you're moving from like you delivering services or you and your like small team to trying to actually build something out, a lot of times you don't realize that you're an expert in this field or your team that you're working with, like your guys are experts and you try to give this to somebody else and it just if you try to just hand over too much at once or you try to just hand over the full thing, like it often just flops and fails. And so it comes down to really um, starting to figure out how to hand things over properly um, is one kind of piece of it. And then um, in addition with that, just like really learning to, I guess, understand um, not just like, like, like kind of change and think of how you sell because like how you sell also determines and like how custom stuff is also determines your ability to make things repeatable so you can hand them off. Absolutely. So I, I can definitely um, relate to that a lot of the times when I'm working with clients, we're working on getting what's in their head out of their head to turn it into a process. So how did you kind of tackle that challenge of getting your expertise into a process that somebody else could do. Yeah. So I think the first thing really comes down to what it is, like how you sell, because it's like what you sell and deliver ultimately is going to determine, like what you sell is going to determine what you deliver. And so if you sell custom stuff every time, then you have to make customizations and even small tweaks and customizations in the scope each time can like really throw wrenches in the bottlenecks. We're like, oh, well, this customer is a little unique or this customer is a little different. Um, and that's really hard to say no to stuff at first because you don't quite know, always know where those boundaries are. But you have to kind of go out there and just like say, hey, like instead of doing like custom proposals each time, you need to get to a place of creating like a product or a series of products, which is kind of what I've actually done in Content Allies, where we're more of an agency, but we have a series of products. And you need to say like, hey, this is what we do. This is how we do it. And it's like, these are the options. Take it or leave it. And um, that's kind of like a, it's a weird stance, I think, for a lot of service businesses to get into that have been doing just kind of custom quotes each time. But it's like a really powerful thing because when you start to get to that, um, give you an example of content allies. The other day I had a customer that was like wanting to, they were like, well, I don't, I think your rates for articles are too high and we don't need that level of quality. We want just like, you know, like shorter stuff coming out every week to keep us top of mind. And I just had to say, like, no, that's not what we do. We believe in high quality content and like we charge a rate for that so that we can put time and investment in. And like, we're not going to do a higher volume of low quality content because that's not what we offer. And so it's kind of like putting these boundaries around what it is you offer and being very clear about that. Um, and it takes a while to get that to match what the market wants. But like, that's like the first step of getting like a product or a couple products in place that you just sell that are the same every time and take very little customization. And once you do that, then all the operations can follow. But if you're selling custom every time, your operations is going to struggle to follow behind that. Absolutely. So as you've kind of launched Content Allies, the second 
the second piece, um, what challenges did you run into this time around that you didn't expect? So how is how is starting Content Allies different now from starting Lead Cookie? Yeah, so one thing that, um, well, Lead Cookie, like it, it sounds like super cool and like we built this up, we've got like 75 customers and like we're doing really great. There is something that I learned from Lead Cookie is that when you productize a single marketing service as a business, um, it's kind of challenging because you're going to have a high level of churn because like people just rotate their dollar marketing dollars like way more frequently than they do anything else. Like people are just constantly jumping from marketing channel to marketing channel. They saturate and like that's and that's just how marketing works because you try something you'll might like we have customers who we saturate like um susan we worked with you and we hit a point where it was like yep. oh well we we hit the good leads like uh okay <laughs> like, you know at some point <laughs> some point like well we can go toward like the lower quality leads or like you're probably going to get a better roi putting those dollars elsewhere um and so like that's this thing that i realized is like if you are a marketing company and you provide a singular marketing service it's really challenging because you're gonna have a really high churn rate just by like the fact that you're in marketing and so with content allies what i've done is i've basically built a series of services so we do article writing we do podcast production we do linkedin content and we do email newsletter creation and we may add more onto the mix that's like a lot to already handle right now um but I'm basically building each one of those up as core products to try to basically create an ecosystem where someone can come into and, you know, they write articles for a while and then they need a break. They can go down and go to LinkedIn content and just promote those for a while, but, or maybe they move over toward podcasting. But the goal is that it creates this kind of place where you can move people in and out of different products without them actually leaving your company if they're really happy. Um, and so that's kind of a different like approach, but then again, that there's definitely more operational complexities. You're building like four processes and everything right. to You're support actually that building like four different companies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely like, there's definitely like overlap on like the internal infrastructure and like, there's a lot of things you can copy and paste and learn from and you go way quicker each time you do it. But, um, it definitely is, uh. Is a little more complicated than just one single service that you just run over and over again. Yeah, and I also think um, it's interesting that you focused a little bit more on developing a system that reduces churn. I had the same kind of um, issue in my own business. I had been focusing on like product project based kind of services. So we work together and then we're done. And you find that. Um, it's really hard to create a consistent relationship with clients and have recurring revenue. You're always constantly kind of looking for new clients and that takes up a lot of your capacity. Did you find that um, with lead cookie versus content allies? Is that a similar structure? Yeah, it was definitely something with like lead cookie and we're like, it, it's the ones that like that are really happy and that you just saturate and that you're like, ah, oh man, <laughs> I hate this. Like they're, they're happy and they're leaving or for any number of reasons. And, um, you see that and you still see the churn. And so that's, it, it, it does become like difficult because you're constantly onboarding and offboarding customers with that. Um, and so like, and you, and you start to hit a ceiling. Cause like the, the thing is that if, you know, our, our churn at lead cookie will average between like anywhere from say, like on a really great month as low as like 8% of our customer rebates, the base is like a good month. And then like on an average month, that's closer to like 20, um, which is a lot, especially as you start to get up to like 75 customers and you start to realize hey, we have to sign 12 customers to break even mm -hmm. um, and not go backwards. So it definitely is 
um, a challenge there. And so like that recurring capacity is really important. And it's important to think through churn and things like that when you build your offers. Cause like I, I literally, at some point I went back to look at my like early days of lead cookie planning and it was like risks. It was like, well, we might saturate their market or uh, stuff like that. And like, and like, and like, I just didn't even, I was like, ah, whatever. And like, I just still went for it. But then like, it's, if there's churn built into your model, it's you can't fix that really, um, <laughs> like without no. like literally changing the actual <laughs> changing what service doing, itself. Yeah. yeah, no, no churn reduction or customer success tactics are gonna like magically fix if your product is just has inherent churn. That makes sense. So both business, both Lead Cookie and Content Ally are actually pretty high touch behind the scenes. They're not really automated, there's actual people behind the scenes doing the work. And you have found specific ways to kind of deliver that service um, without losing that high touch feel, but also delivering it profitably and efficiently. So what are some of the strategies that you focused on operationally in either company um, to kind of make that happen? Yeah. So one of the things that was really, really helpful for me um, is first of all, like separating, um, I guess, strategy from execution. Um, and, and really, like, I think a key part of this comes down to one of the things I found really valuable was reading um, Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz when he talked about the mm -hmm. Queen Bee Roll. There's, you know, a lot of business books are rehashing a lot of things, but I thought this was like his concept there was really smart. And what he talks about is like the Queen Bee Roll is basically like, what is like the most valuable part of your business? Like the, and what's typically going to be your most expensive, most difficult to train and like most important aspect of your business. Um, and, and like, and so for example, like both in lead cookie and content allies, that is account strategy. So that's in lead cookie. That's the person who's onboarding with the customer who's writing their scripts at Content Allies, that's the person, again, who's doing the onboarding, who is doing the, co the content interviews, is checking in with the writers, making sure that we're going in the right direction and everything, and they're kind of QAing the content. Um, like, those are the highest level, like, strategic roles of the business. And so those would be what, like, Mike would refer to as the Queen Bee role. And so the concept here is that, um, like, you need to pull as much as possible off of that person or that role's plate so that they can just do as much of that as possible. Um, and so like literally like everything down to like, oh, we signed a new customer. We need to like duplicate our onboarding templates and our scripts templates. Like we have assistants doing that or Zapier doing that. Like we have literally like microscopically like found everything we could possibly think of to get off of the strategist plate. So that way they're doing the maximum amount of like strategic thinking um, and the minimal amount of like any sort of mundane work. And anytime like, and we've just like gone and just taken that and just optimized the max we could. Um, so that way they can handle strategy for more accounts and we don't have to do, uh, we don't have to hire and ramp up a bunch of strategists. And what that lets us do, I mean, one of our strategists is handling um, at Lee Cook, I think he's handling like 55 accounts and he's like, doing well and has a good work-life balance and is doing great with them. And it's because like, we just take everything else off of his plate and that's all he does. It's just wake up, 
handle touch of base with clients, think strategically, look for optimizations. And that's all he does. And that's the hardest role and the most difficult to train for. It took me three months to train him through like hands-on shadowing. And so just making sure that when you do those, you get the most leverage out of that person. Um, that's been like a really key concept that has helped a lot. Have you found that that um, improves your kind of your employee happiness? You know, to me, that sounds like a perfect thing is you get to wake up and do the thing that you really want to do all day long and you don't have to do any of the any of the boring bits. Has that um, have you found that with employee engagement or anything? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, when you um, I, I think it definitely is makes them happier because it's just like, you know, the, for someone who's at that level, who can do that level of strategic work, like the the simplest, like mundane things or things like blockers that get in the way just um can be really frustrating, like to like literally to the point where we were like um, today um, or earlier this week, we were talking about just like the optimization of uh, when a sale is made, like for him to prep for his onboarding call, like we, for him to log into Pipedrive and find the sale in the notes was like, oh man, that's like annoying. And so it's like, no, 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 no. When the sale's made, an Asana task it goes to him with all of the notes from the CRM and all those details. Um, so that way he literally like, it's just there and like just everything there. like down to that microscopic level. Cause it's like when you're moving that fast, any of that friction you feel like it just gets in your way and it blocks you and your kills your flow. Um, and so, yeah, it, it definitely like we've had, we have hardly any churn at lead cookie. And I think that that's attributes to a lot of factors more than just that. Like we've got a really strong culture and um, things like that as well. But um, I think it definitely does contribute to happiness when you have focused people there. Cause also on the operations side, like the people who deliver operations, like they just love waking up and having predictable days. Like they don't like, uh, we tried to put one of our ops people into a more of a strategic role. And they're like, I don't like waking up and not knowing what's coming in my day. Like I want to have my list and do my list and be done. And I don't like clients like, you know, uh, hijacking my day. And like then so other people love that role. So um, it's definitely finding the right people for the right roles with that as well. Awesome. So was there a, a particular operations process or change that you made that particularly made a big difference in how easy the kind of service was to deliver? Um, I would say there's not like a specific change that made it way easier to deliver. I think uh, if anything, like one of the things we do is we meet on a weekly basis and we do um, what's called like workshops is what we call them. Um, and we, we recently actually just combined this in with our weekly standup. Um, but for basically like 30 to 60 minutes each week, we just bring up issues and then we like resolve those issues. And so that is a really useful thing. We literally just have a Trello or an Asana board, depending on each company. And we put all of just ideas for something that went wrong, something that maybe changed or an idea for an improvement. We put them here in a, an ideas column. We talk about them on the call with the whole leadership team. We then basically figure out a solution, come up with a decision. Maybe it's an action that someone takes out of that that they're going to go do. Um, but that is what I would say is just the thing that has led to slow, consistent improvement. There was no crazy aha moment that I can immediately think of that made everything better. Um, it was more just that consistent habit just led to small tweaks every single week. And then if you're just constantly doing that, you're just constantly fixing all these small problems. And then one day you get to those meetings and you're like, Hey, we don't, we don't have anything to talk about. Um, this is pretty cool. So there's no <laughs> problems. <laughs> uh, and that's a great spot to be at. 
Yeah. And I actually, I have to tell you that when you, you wrote a blog post about your weekly workshop and I actually took that idea and that's what I do with all of my clients is that we now do um, that weekly workshop kind of process focused time that I found every time it's, it's really easy to kind of slough it off to the side in the weekly, you know, weekly stand up or weekly meetings where it gets, the time gets kind of sucked away with day to day, just, you know, dealing with what's going on in the business. And it was so easy for there not to be dedicated time to focus on process improvement. And it's such a key piece, I think, of being able to scale your business or deliver more profitably or more efficiently. Um, But it's so easy for that time to just disappear if it's not specifically stated as this is what we're doing during this time. There's an agenda this is what we're focusing on. Here's our priority. Um, and so I found that to have um, huge effects in the clients that I work with as well. So um, I have to agree with you. <laughs> I think that's a great operations change. It's just yeah. putting aside time. It doesn't have to be um, a huge system switch or a, a huge, like some life altering thing. It can be, okay, well, invoices are kind of a pain in the butt. How could we make this process easier to send invoices or easier to um, onboard clients. You just have a recurring productized service idea, weekly workshops, consulting as a service. So that's, I mean, that's, <laughs> I have to tell you, that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> like that's, I mean, essentially that's what I do is basically all week long. I just help people fix their processes. <laughs> so um, my life is a workshop, but um, it's interesting. So, as, as a lead cookie client, I've actually been through some of your onboarding process and um, you developed, and I've never, I've not seen any other people develop this, but you developed a course to onboard clients. Um, can you talk about kind of what prompted that and what results did you see from that? Yeah, it was something that um, was just kind of uh, an initial idea. We were just like, we realized early on that it is there's I mean there's a lot of complications with running like lead cookie and what we're doing and we're managing our clients LinkedIn accounts and there's all these expectations of things to set and then also things they should and shouldn't do when they actually get the leads um and so it was kind of just an idea of you know an approach there something that my advisor brought up to me and basically his concept was when you're productizing the onboarding um you know, well, for a while, you just do it one-on-one, you do calls, and you start to just see when you're answering these same questions over and over again or the same issues. And so basically made it into a video course, then also made that into an email drip sequence just because, you know, some people access things differently or whatnot. And so we just kind of said, here's all the things that customers need to know when they come on board. We made the outline. We actually workshopped it as a team on the outline before I filmed the course. And then we put it all together. And, you know, it was a, a weak project. It wasn't anything crazy. Um, it's nothing super highly produced. Most of it's me just on camera talking or um, a, you know, me clicking through a PowerPoint slide, basically. And uh, it was really, really useful just because it, it, it reduced a lot of the questions we got. But it also just massively increased the perceived value of our service too. People were just blown away um, whenever they're mm-hmm. like, whoa, you have a whole like, a video course here like for onboarding. And so it was really cool for people to go through that and just to hear. And, and I think there's um, this level of 
confidence or just uh, satisfaction people bring or have with the service and makes them happier whenever they go through it. So, um, cause I think a lot of people are used to hiring marketing vendors who just kind of suck and like, don't actually do things. Oh yeah. I, I am a big believer of like having a process can be a clear competitive advantage when you can mm-hmm. clearly show that you have a process that you're going to meet deadlines, that there's, there's something behind it. And it's not just, you know, all smoke and mirrors and marketing up front. And then when it comes time to deliver, we're going to drop the ball or we're going to, you know, deliver poorly. And I think that's, I think that's really often underestimated. So I think it's interesting that you found that it was kind of tied to customer satisfaction. Um, Did you find any difference in like success rates or how, um, how successful clients who took advantage of that, um, how, how successful they were with your it definitely reduced our churn and we just started to see much better results all around whenever we um, put that in place so it was um early early days churn was really bad which also was partially due to not knowing always who the best customers were and things Mm -hmm. like that so there's a lot of factors that changed but that was one of the big initiatives we put in place along with the drip sequence and um, you know, customer success calls and things like that. But, um, you know, I studied just a bit on customer success and it's just, it was a very well worthy use of just time investment and learning and everything there. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it definitely helped make a difference. And again, it's, there's just the, you know, there's the chance of buyer remorse right after someone buys. Um, and, Whenever, whenever they make a decision and commit where they can still maybe like want to back out right away or maybe they're not happy with their decision. When you do something like that, it just gives them that confidence going forward and really gets them bought into and committed to the process as well. And also ultimately, it did help them uh, respond a lot better to leads. Um, we had some people that like, you know, we have people that come to us and they just have no idea how to sell. And so having that course to walk through and give them tips on how to respond, how to pe- get people on the phone and stuff like that was also really, really valuable. Yeah. And as somebody who actually took the course who can't sell, (laughs) I was very (laughs) new to selling and I found it very helpful. (laughs) Um, So I also think that particularly in client service businesses, we tend to underestimate the workload that's actually associated with onboarding a client, like all of that work that really gets triggered when you bring on a new client and I love the idea of using content or um, I like to call it just kind of helper content that helps you. It's pre-done content that helps you kind of deliver that service faster, more efficiently, more consistently going back to that, you know, customer service as a process, as a kind of a competitive advantage, finding different areas to use that um, not only to deliver better and faster, but more consistently and with better client satisfaction and, um, so I, I just love the idea of the onboarding course. <laughs> Is that something that you are thinking about including in content allies, or do you think the market is different there and it, you wouldn't see the same kind of advantages? Yeah, it's, um, it's something that I, I, I think in uh, content allies will probably still do an onboarding drip sequence, but it is a little different and the persona is different. So I don't think any of these things are one size fits all. Um, so for example, with content allies, our persona is the extremely busy consultant who is really smart and an expert in their field, but doesn't have time to write, um, or doesn't have the expertise to like write their skill sets or produce a podcast. And so our persona is someone who is insanely busy, like, and often billing really, really high rates. 
and they know they need to be doing content. They have like a backlog of content ideas, but they just aren't doing it. And so there's a lot less like to train them on because really like our service to them is, hey, you show up on an interview, you talk for an hour, and we're going to turn that into really great content. Um, So there's a lot less to train them on in that. Um, I think in time we're looking, we're considering, I'm considering adding more of like a training component for there's some things that you just can't really outsource as part of being a thought leader that, you know, you could be trained on though and advised toward. Um, but I think it also is, it's just a different service. And I don't think our super busy customers would go through that. Um, but so I think it's also just, again, depends on the nature of the service. It's not like a one size fits all just because that worked for us would work on another business as well. So, right. Um, and on content allies, you said it's a lot closer to kind of your going back towards that agency model. Are there pieces that you've done with content allies that you didn't do with lead cookie based off of that, both what you're offering, you know, four different services at this point or off of your kind of new avatar? Yeah, I think um, one of the things is I think the sales process has changed a bit. Um, With Lead Cookie, it was very much we created a single sales page that we just funneled everyone through and said, hey, here's the offer. And um, as I started to get toward content, I was like, well, that's kind of hard to do because I want to send people like four sales pages and be like, hey, here you go. And like, let me like combine all these in an email. Um, and so it became a, the sales process definitely changed a little bit. So, um, still, it's still selling products and that's the one thing. And it took me a bit to get around and figuring out exactly how to set it all up. But what we're moving now toward is a two-step call, our two-step sale where we have a, um, 30 minute discovery call all about the customer, all about their business, learning them. Um, and then basically we then have a, essentially like a proposal presental call, um, but that proposal is completely templated. Um, there is basically the only things I swap out are pulling in slides um, for the services that I'm actually going to recommend and then kind of adjusting that all down into like a summary at the bottom. So it's not, not like a, a custom written proposal. It is a very templated piece, but then just, and then also I kind of, um, I'm actually kind of putting in uh, re, re, um, presenting back to them their pain points that they described on the discovery call. So I'm actually learning all of this from this guy, sales coach, Damian Thompson, who has been awesome and is helping with a bunch of this stuff. But um, that is kind of the, probably the biggest change is just learning how to sell products in a way that feels like agency custom, but is still very productized is kind of the interesting spot where we're kind of sitting at. Very deliverable. That's, I, I have a similar process where I have like a lead kind of product that is designed to get a lot of the pain points and what's happening. Um, and the actual pieces that you're executing tend to be more customized because you're addressing it to that client specific, you know, what their problem is. Um, but you're from a delivery standpoint, what you're delivering isn't necessarily different for you from an operations perspective. Um, and I think it's an interesting balance. <laughs> yeah. And again, it just comes down to being very clear with what you're going to deliver and how you're going to deliver it and just holding true to that, even when you get custom requests. And there's a, it's a balancing act with that and learning, um, because you have to meet the market with what the market wants and not just what you fantasize in your own head that the market wants and what's like great for you. So that's like always this odd balancing act. But like I said, just anything from like the guy who was asking for like the 
higher quantity of like shorter, crappier blog posts. We're just like, no, nah, that's like, we don't do that. And you just got to like be okay with that. Or the number of people who have kind of had like oddball requests for lead cookie. And we just have to say, we don't do that. And um, it's kind of scary at first. And it takes some risk to kind of be willing to, I guess, lose some of those or have those people walk away. But it's, it's worth it because then you're, you don't get bogged down by all those custom pieces and you can just focus that time and energy on more marketing, more sales and pulling in more of the right people through the door. That's interesting. So I've found the same thing when I started telling people like, Hey, you're not a good fit or he, I don't think this is the right choice and here's why, um, or that's not what I do. Here's why. Um, I found that sometimes those people went away, but sometimes they thought about, you know, why you choose to do that. You know, like in your example, why you choose to create quality content instead of crappy content. Um, do you find that sometimes saying no to clients or saying this is my process, do you find that there's any um, kind of an increase in the value of your expertise? You know, you're kind of presenting yourself as an expert, here's what I do and here's why I do it. Have you found that to be true in content allies as well? Uh, I think so in some ways. Like it, it is, um, if especially if what you're ask, what you're telling them you're not going to do is because you don't believe what they want is actually what's going to work, then I think there's definitely value in that. Um, and like you can kind of position that differently and just change the frame of, hey, you thought you wanted this, but you actually don't. So that's definitely one piece of it. But um yeah, I, I think there's, and there's also just an interesting thing whenever uh, it's, there's a very odd psychological thing when you turn people down, uh, it makes them really yeah. want to buy from you. It's, I don't know why it is obscure. It's I've had, true though. Uh, a it's, woman it's cry. It's totally true. You tell yeah. people like, no, <laughs> you're like, not a good fit. And they're like, it, but I want it. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting thing in that sense. Um, and I don't ever use this manipulatively. It's actually really more awkward whenever I really don't think someone's a good fit. And then they like, they get really right. pissed about it. Um, but it's, uh, it's, so yeah, there's, there's some interesting things there whenever you say that. And, and sometimes like, but when you do what, well, I guess the point that I bring is when you do do that and you actually have good reasoning behind it, sometimes they still buy what you actually want. Um, cause you may be able to convince them that the route that they were going down, wasn't actually a good idea. Right. Awesome. Um, and where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more? Yeah, so um, I have a um, podcast uh, called Working Without Pants that you can check out. And then my main website is jake-jorgovin, where I do all my blogging, podcasting, writing, and tons of stuff like that about more higher level business stuff and all the things I'm learning and processes I'm building at my companies. And then uh, there's leadcookie.com and contentallies.com. All right, great. Thank you so much for being on the show and uh, talking to us today. No problem. Thanks for having me on here, Susan. Next week, we're going to start diving into different ways to opt out of client meetings. In any service business, meeting with clients is just something we all have to do. Or is it? During the whole month of January, I'll be talking to folks who have taken that standard and turned it on its head. We're talking alternative delivery options to allow you to rethink how you're working with clients and ways that you could potentially opt out of client meetings entirely or just reshape how you're communicating with them. So don't miss those episodes. And if you're looking for some options to scale your service business while still working directly with clients, that's exactly what I help entrepreneurs like you do as their CFO and growth advisor. You're listening to Break the Ceiling because you know, or at least you hope, that there's a way to break through that doesn't involve working more hours, sacrificing quality, or jeopardizing customer satisfaction. And there is. 
When you're maxed out, growing your business is as much about what you choose not to do as it is about how you choose to do it. It all starts with getting clearer on your money and your foundational systems. I'll help you identify your profit centers, define processes that drive revenue, and create systems that fuel your cash flow. I'd love to talk with you about how you can jumpstart your revenue growth by doing less. To get started, shoot me an email at susan at scalespark.co. And from there, we'll hop on the phone and see if you're a good fit for a custom growth blueprint. Again, reach out to susan at scalespark.co. I'd love to help you break through the ceiling. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. And our theme music is Feel So Fly by The Oonders.